welcome to a new weekly podcast series called USERF Spotlight, hosted by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an independent federal advisory body. During each episode, Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, features a special guest to dive deeper on various topics and breaking developments that impact the universal right to freedom of religion or belief around the globe. Welcome to You Serve Spotlight. I'm Dwight Bashir. Today we're going to discuss the status of religious freedom in Nigeria and explain why the country warrants a continued designation by the U.S. State Department as a country of particular concern, also known as CPC, for engaging in or tolerating systematic, ongoing and egregious violations. Since 2009, uh, the commission has recommended that the State Department designate Nigeria a CPC. In December of 2020, the State Department designated Nigeria for the first time after all those years, making Nigeria the first secular democracy to be added to the CPC list. Yet some still feel that this designation is unwarranted. As we approach the end of 2021 and anticipate the State Department's upcoming CPC designations, today's discussion will demonstrate why it is warranted uh, correct some common misconceptions and explore how the U.S. government can adjust its policy in Nigeria to assist the government in improving its religious freedom record. We're fortunate today to have with us USERF Commissioner Fred Davey to go deeper on these issues. Welcome, Commissioner Davey. Thank you, Dwight. It's good to be here. Good to have you back again. Uh, it'd be great if you could start uh, by explaining to our audience some of the religious freedom violations occurring in Nigeria today and why USERF continues to call for it to be designated a country of particular concern. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to start there. Um, the International Religious Freedom Act, or IRFR, requires the State Department to designate a country uh, of CPC if that country either engages in or tolerates particularly severe violations of religious freedom. In Nigeria, we have a country that is actually doing both. Let's start, if you will, with the violations that the government is actually engaging in. State authorities in Nigeria continue to arrest, detain, charge, and convict citizens of blasphemy. The state enforcement of blasphemy laws has been particularly prevalent in the north of the country, where Sharia courts operate in parallel with common law and customary courts. Since 2020, state authorities in Kano State, for example, have arrested at least five individuals for blasphemy or charges related to blasphemy, including two religious prisoners of conscience I advocate for through USERS Religious Prisoners of Conscience Project. That is humanist. Mubarak Bala, and Tijaniya Muslim gospel singer, Yahya Sharif Aminu. Now, those are the violations that the Nigerian government is engaging in. But the Nigerian government also tolerates violations by others. In many parts of the country, religious leaders and congregations face threat of violence by armed groups, including abductions, attacks on houses of worship, and attacks on religious ceremonies. Despite the widespread threat of this type of violence, federal and state governments routinely fail to investigate and prosecute those responsible. Often when we engage the Nigerian government, they highlight that they don't have the capacity to investigate this violence, despite that they want to, 
However, I find this argument a bit disingenuous when we've seen this year the government has launched a hefty and expensive response to growing separatist mobilization in the southeast of the country. So clearly the government has the capacity to intervene more forcefully when it has the will, which leads me to hypothesize that the government's failure to prosecute perpetrators of religious violence is willful negligence, not that of capacity. Well, thank you, Commissioner Davey, for laying that out for us. It's definitely a, a worrying trajectory for those seeking to worship and practice uh, their beliefs without fear, no doubt. Uh, tell me, if you could, what makes these violations particularly severe enough to warrant a CPC designation? That's a good question, Dwight. Um, IRFA gives us guidance on what constitutes a particularly severe violation. According to IRFA, violations must meet three criteria to warrant a CPC designation. They must be systematic, they must be ongoing, and they must be egregious. I think it is quite clear that the violations I highlighted before that the Nigerian government has committed or tolerate clearly meet these three criteria. So again, if we start with blasphemy charges and convictions, we see that they meet these criteria. These violations are clearly systematic as they constitute the use of government funds and authorities to arrest, detain, and try these alleged blasphemers. They are ongoing as the, at least three of these alleged blasphemers remain incarcerated and they constitute an egregious violation as IRFA defines it that is, as the alleged violators are held in detention, denied their rights to freedom of movement and physical security due to the expression of their beliefs. Moreover, to the violence and attacks on religious leaders, communities, and infrastructure, these also fit the three criteria for CPC. They are ongoing as trends of these types of targeted attacks have not reduced relative to previous years, and they are egregious because they threaten the lives and physical security of individuals under attack. And they are systematic because the government demonstrates no will to investigate the perpetrators and routinely fails to hold them accountable for violence. In fact, this lack of accountability has fostered a climate of impunity in many parts of the country. Sometimes the case for CPC is nuanced. In Nigeria, it's not. This is straightforward and the U.S. government's hands are essentially tied in making this de designation, if IRFA means anything at all. Uh, Commissioner uh, David, you've been with the commission now for a couple of years uh, with a particular focus on Nigeria and Africa. It'd be great if you could share with our audience uh, what's some of the most common misconceptions that you've encountered uh, regarding uh, religious freedom violations or conditions in Nigeria. Certainly, and, and where to begin? Uh, you are very right. Uh, I am often surprised by some of the misconceptions I and my fellow commissioners have encountered when advocating for a strong policy response in Nigeria regarding deterioration of conditions. One of the most prominent examples of this is an assumption that enforcing blasphemy laws enshrined in Sharia codes is not a violation of religious freedom if those laws are enforced only against Muslims. 
That's just simply not true. Enforcing blasphemy laws constitutes a violation of the right of freedom of religion and belief across the board. If people have additional questions on this, I would refer them to the numerous reports that USURF has produced on this topic. And we are in good company in this analysis. Muslims are allowed to hold diverse views regarding their faith, and they should not be subject to blasphemy laws under Sharia law or any other kind of law. Another misconception I've come across is the assumption that popular opinion is a strong indicator of a country's religious freedom record. Several recent surveys have shown that a slim majority of Nigerians think that religious freedom is not a problem in Nigeria. And some use this as evidence that Nigeria does not warrant a CPC designation. Setting aside the fact that just over 50% is not a significant majority, popular opinion is also not a particularly strong indicator of respect for religious freedom. In many of the countries USURF covers, the majority population practices their faith in peace and may feel that religious freedom conditions are fine. That is because it is religious minorities that bear the brunt of religious freedom violations. A country's treatment of its religious minority communities is a far stronger indicator of its respect for religious freedom than popular opinion. And here we can see Nigeria has come up short, whether it's humanists or Shia Muslims or even Sunni Muslims who preach a minority interpretation of more mainstream tradition, religious minorities routinely experience prejudice and persecution in Nigeria. A third misconception I hear often that is promoting religious freedom in Nigeria is primarily about protecting Christians, when nothing could be further from the truth. Victims of religious freedom violations in Nigeria represent tremendous religious diversity. You can look at the religious breakdown of USERF's religious prisoners of conscience from Nigeria to give you an example. Of the three religious prisoners of conscience that USERF commissioners advocate for, one is Christian, one is Muslim, and one is an atheist. This is why we are very careful in our reporting to use religion neutral language, highlighting attacks on houses of worship instead of churches, or attacks on religious leaders instead of imams. Protection of religious freedom is not faith or denomination specific. It is about freedom for all. And we see this a lot in many religious minority communities in Nigeria, that they stick up for one another and that they advocate for each other's rights. And we've seen Catholic leaders in Nigeria speak up in support of religious freedom for Shia Muslims, for example. We've seen Shia leaders speak out on behalf of Sunni Muslim leaders who have been persecuted. The solidarity across groups is strong. I also think many assume for religious freedom violations to warrant a CPC designation, they must be committed by state authorities at the federal or national level. Nigeria is a highly decentralized country, just like the United States with much of the political power resting in state and provincial authorities outside the capital. The state officials also bear responsibility for protecting the religious freedom of their citizens, not just federal authorities in the capital. The strategy for influence and situation may look different than if the violators were in federal government, but violations by all government officials warrant a response whether they be federal, state, or local authorities. 
But Dwight, I also think people assume CPC designation necessarily requires a punitive or stick-based response on the part of the U.S. government. This is also incorrect. IRFA lays out a diverse menu of policy options to respond to a CPC designation, including options that include more collaborative, partnership-based approach for the United States to assist the government in improving its religious record. Options like working with the government to sign a binding agreement and develop an action plan to improve religious freedom conditions. So a CPC designation does not mean we're going to impose sanctions or cut off funding or uproot all the other aspects of U.S. policy in the country. It can serve as a supportive tool as well. Thank you so much for that. That really was a very helpful uh, uh, rendition. They're laying things out of why uh, there are so many misconceptions and you kind of debunked them uh, and, and corrected them. Now, in your opinion, uh, what would the Nigerian government have to do uh, to no longer you know, be considered a CPC or, or be designated at this point? And what would a Nigeria that respects religious freedom actually look like? So it seems to me, Dwight, those are two different questions, and I will take them um, in order. In my mind, for Nigeria to make immediate progress, it would need to, one, release and drop all charges against individuals charged with blasphemy, and two, conduct routine, independent, timely, and thorough investigations into perpetrators of attacks on houses of worship, religious leaders, and religious ceremonies. Those, in my mind, are two first steps the Nigerian government needs to take. Now, in the longer term, I think the Nigerian government would need to decriminalize and ultimately repeal blasphemy laws across the country and successfully hold perpetrators accountable for attacks on religious communities. Yeah, no, thanks. That makes a lot of sense. It seems like uh, well, well, you have a stark image in your mind of an ideal end state. You're not asking for perfection, uh, but what we're really looking for is genuine, measurable progress uh, from the Nigerian government that's been very difficult uh, to get in recent years. Now, in your estimation, what should the U.S. government do to assist uh, or encourage the Nigerian government to make that progress here in the near term? Uh, yes, of course. And of course, that's the, the million dollar question what can be done. Given the diverse drivers and manifestations of religious freedom violations in Nigeria, the situation warrants diverse responses. There are a few things we think would have the, we would have the largest impact. First, the U.S. needs to redesignate Nigeria as a country of particular concern. I think I've laid out the argument for why and some of, for why this is the case in some of my earlier responses. But this is a requisite first step in keeping U.S. policy in the right direction. Second, the U.S. should increase funding for programs designed to combat impunity and increase access to government and increase access to justice for victims of violence, especially victims of attacks on, on religious leaders, houses of worship, and religious ceremonies. If you look at the U.S. spending in Nigeria, support to improve Justice and combating impunity for violence is surprisingly absent. This has led to a criminal free-for-all where violent actors know 
they can act and abduct religious leaders and parishioners with impunity and do so for a variety of reasons. Supporting programs to combat impunity for, for uh, criminal violence and increase victims' access to justice is an important missing link in current US policy in Nigeria. Third, the centralized nature of governance in Nigeria and the role that state officials have played in violating religious freedom. US officials in Abuja should develop and implement state-specific strategies to help advocate for religious freedom in varying contexts across the country. I think a locally specific strategy for advocating for religious freedom in Kano State is particularly warranted. I also think US policy in the country would benefit from conducting an analysis of the drivers of religious freedom violations in Kanduna State and developing a tailored response there. And finally, and perhaps most importantly, the US government should provide more support to Nigerians who are working to advocate for institutionalization of religious freedom norms in Nigeria. Nigeria is a democracy, just like the United States, and ultimately Nigerian authorities should take their cue from the people they govern. Locally grown support for religious freedom will be a far stronger foundation from which to change and blossom than in international pressure. The US should work to build the capacity of local society actors in Nigeria who are fighting for repeal of blasphemy laws and who are attempting to hold the government responsible for complicity in religious violence. Programs focused on building these actors' capacity to mobilize inclusive and successful social movements, engage policymakers, and capitalize on, on journalism would be particularly useful. Well, we'll have to leave it right there, but thank you so much for these uh, specific policy recommendations. I want to thank Commissioner Fred Davey for taking the time to join us uh, today and sharing his insights about religious freedom violations in Nigeria and particularly why the country warrants CPC designation by the State Department. To learn more about USERF's reporting on Nigeria and our latest policy recommendations, please visit our website at www.us. CIRF.GOV. As always, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on USERF Spotlight. To learn more about USERF and about global religious freedom concerns, visit usurf.gov. That's USCIRF.gov. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at USCIRF. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week for another USERF Spotlight.